turn with me to Acts chapter 8. What a wonderful place in Scripture. I got a chance to spend an extra week, so to speak, in the Word of God. Uh, not having to preach last week, I, I just, uh, just kind of went over this place and over this place and, and tried to get a real feel for Acts chapter 8. And it is so enriching to understand what our Lord is trying to do. In fact, it seeps over into chapter 9. When we get to chapter 9, we're going to see a very, a very similar thing take place um, that, is, that we're studying about Stephen and Philip. We're going to note in chapter 9, and this is way out there, but this, we're going to note Saul when he becomes Paul and a man named Ananias. And I, I really cannot wait to talk about that, but we're talking really about it now in the life of Stephen and Philip And now we are also going to see a comparison between the life of a fellow by the name of Simon that we're going to see this week, and next week we're going to see the Ethiopian eunuch. And we're going to see the comparison between their two lives. This place in Scripture is unbelievably rich. It is extremely important. I am am now convinced it is extremely important that you and I understand this particular chapter so that we can understand what true faith is really all about. That is what our Lord is trying to do, in my opinion, by giving us the comparison of Stephen and Philip, and also Simon, who is a a magician. We're going to read about him today, and next week we're going to take a look at the eunuch and the difference between a person's heart. And then we're going to take a look at chapter 9, between Saul and a man named Ananias. And the only place that Ananias is mentioned is in the ninth chapter. He only comes upon the scene just for a moment in time, but he does exactly what the Lord would have him to do with his life. And that's what the purpose is for you and for me, to really understand what is our life in Christ all about. Read with me, please, from verse 9 to 24. I want, you to, I want you to note some things, and I'm going to try to uh, point it out, but not when I read the Scriptures. When I read the Scriptures, let's just read it through thoroughly, and then we'll point it out afterwards. Verse 9, it says, There was a certain man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, note, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip's preaching of the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip as he, and, and, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They simply had been baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ. Then they began laying their hands on them. They were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, verse 19, Give this authority to me as well, so that 
everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. But the fact of the matter is, folks, Simon's heart was not right. Simon's heart was the issue. Look again with me at verse 21, just for a moment. Look, he says in verse 21, Peter says to Simon, you have no part or no portion in this matter. Why? Because, he says, your heart is not right before God. If you remember a couple weeks ago when we last gathered together, we said that the one thing that you and I have, all people have, is of utmost importance to us is a beating heart. Our hearts are of utmost importance. Jesus gave us a most amazing and wonderful example of how the importance of our hearts is in the matter of spiritual things. What we will try to do here, I hold no hidden agenda to any of us. What we will try to do, what I will try to do here is through the Word of God, through studying the Word of God, soften and make pliable our hearts so that we may hear the Word of God, so the Word of God may take seed within us and within our hearts and do the work that God intended to do in and through all of our lives. It all begins with your and my heart being right before God. Before we pray, let's look at one more place in Scripture, Matthew chapter 13. Hold your place here in Acts chapter 8. A couple weeks ago when we got together, we took a look at Matthew chapter 13. And we said that Jesus Christ gave a parable, a parable about a sower. And we mentioned that the seed was the word of God. We mentioned that, uh, um, th- that the soil was our hearts and, and that, that, that it was the Lord that gave forth the message to the people. And so it says in chapter 13, verse 19, when Jesus Christ explains the parable, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and note, does not understand it, does not understand it, essential within your heart and within your life is an understanding of the word of God. That is why it is imperative, folks, for those in churches, when we meet with people that trust us to come to church on a Sunday morning, that they entrust us with that time, we are to preach the Word of God. We are to give understanding to this so that our hearts might be right before the Lord. If you remember, I will remind you next week, When Philip came upon the Ethiopian, stay here in Matthew, please. When Philip came upon the Ethiopian, Ethiopian and and the eunuch, and and he said to him, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm reading scripture, if you recall. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? Remember, he asked him that. And he says, well, how can I, unless someone guides me? How can I, he says, unless someone teaches me what I'm reading? And then it says, Philip got on the chariot with him and led him through the scriptures and brought him to a belief and trust and faith in Jesus Christ. 
It is imperative, folks, that you and I hear the Word of God and that we understand it. So, back to Matthew 13, 19, it says, The person who hears the Word of God and does not understand it, the evil one will come and snatch it away. That's why we must study the Word of God. He'll snatch away what has been sown, where? In our hearts. It's in our hearts. Our hearts must be right before God. This is the one on whom the seed was sown, Jesus explains, besides the road. And then he says in verse 20, giving the same example, this is the one where the seed was sown on the rocky places, and it did not take, take root. And it says in verse 20, 22, this is the one in whom the seed was sown among the thorns, and it too did not take seed. But he says in verse 23, Jesus goes on to say, but the one in whom the seed was sown where? In good soil. That's our hearts. The soil is a, a, a part of meaning our hearts. When the seed is sown upon a good heart, this is the person who hears the word and now note, also understands it. Then they will indeed bear fruit and bring forth some a hundredfold, some 60-fold, and some 30. You'll note that 100 to 30 is not the issue. The issue isn't how much fruit we bear. The issue is, are our hearts right before God so that when we get the call, we can bear fruit. We can bring forth fruit. Some of us will do a lot, what appears in the world to be a lot, but some of us won't do as much. But before God, that's the, the amount is never the issue. Bringing and bearing forth fruit is the person who hears the word and then understands it and then begins to live out his or her faith, bringing into the kingdom of God others. Fruit who will also walk like we walk with Christ. You see, once you and I come to Christ, that's when the ministry begins. That's when the battle begins. For every single one of us, we are all called to serve Christ. There's no exception. We are all called to bear fruit. Now, I've said over and over again, sometimes I don't know where it came from exactly, because as I recall, I never had a note saying I should say this. And I remember saying it way back when we were in the theater. So it's, it's a couple of years ago now. I said, I don't care. I don't care how you've come to Christ. I don't care when you come to Christ. I don't care where that was or, 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 or the, the amount of time it took you to come to Christ. I said that our, our, our purpose as a church, my purpose as well as every single one of us that sits in this place or stands in this place or comes to this place and is a part of what God is doing in and through our lives, it is our job that we encourage one another to finish in our faith, to finish strong in what we believe in so that we can bring forth fruit out of our lives. And here's the thing. See, we saw the life of Stephen, and Stephen's life ended abruptly. It didn't seem like it was a long ministry, not as far as we could read, correct? 
It was just he was on the scene. He gave a message. They questioned him. They got angry with him. They gave false witness against him, and they stoned him to death. His life was over. And I mentioned to you many, many times, I'm sure the church was devastated. I'm sure that they were thinking, gosh, now... Who's going to take over when the apostles leave? Who's going, to, who's going to help us lead this church when the apostles leave? I bet they believed Stephen was the next in line. And here he's gone. He is now done. His ministry is over with. And now we're comparing Stephen with Philip. And Philip, as we're going to see, his life goes on and on. We'll see him at the end of the book of Acts, still ministering, still pastoring, still being an evangelist. Some have a hundredfold that they will bring in. Some 60. Some maybe just 30. But the time, the results, the length of your ministry, the impact that you and I have in this world in which we live, those are all God's decisions, not ours. They're just not our decisions. Our life is only called to serve our Lord as He sees fit. And He will tell you, not tell you maybe, He will allow you to know how much and how long and, and, and what the outcome is going to be. And that's not your decision nor mine. And so if you feel like you're not making as big an impact as the other person, you're dead wrong. As we're going to see when we get to, to uh, Acts chapter 9. Ananias, as far as we know, the only time he was mentioned was just in this place. And his ministry was to impact Paul. And Paul went on to impact thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. But without Ananias, there's no Paul. God used both of them as he saw fit. And so he is using you and he's using me. He's using us as he sees fit. What he wants from us. Is are we willing to be used by Him? Let me just say to you this. If you are, it's going to take a good heart. A heart who not only hears the Word of God, but also begins to understand it. You see, sometimes all you'll need to do to impact a person's life is just smile at them. It's just something as, as easy as that. Or it might take that you understand the Word of God, that you come to a place in your life where you start to really understand the intricacies of the Word of God, and you might be like Philip, who runs alongside of this Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invites Philip to sit alongside him in his chariot, and Philip took him through the Word of God. You and I need to be prepared to do either a smile or a thank you or leading a person to Christ through the Word of God. That's all God's decision. But you and I must have hearts who hear the Word of God and who understand what we've been taught. That's why it, it really does ache, ache, ache my heart when I hear, and I hear way too often of churches that open their doors and do not teach this, but give out a philosophy of life. It's a huge mistake. And I do believe within the depth of my soul that they, those pastors are going to be accountable someday. But why did you not teach my word? And so we'll do this. We will, as long as the Lord God gives us the strength, we will teach the word of God.
And we will not compromise. And we won't try to, to um, entice people to come because we'll entertain them. We'll bring people... Thanks. Thanks, Mark. I agree with that. We won't try to entertain, although, by golly, I don't know where we're going to get better music than what we had today. I, I loved it. I loved listening to every bit of it. But we will try with all of our hearts to equip you and me. So that might mean that we won't grow to some degree. Maybe we will. That's, again, that's all up to him. That's not our decision. We'll just stay and remain faithful. And then we'll see what God will do in and through our lives. Now, let's pray because there's, there's a lot more to be said. And because of, of this morning, um, I'm not going to get through all of what we read. I won't get through all 24 verses, but I will remind you of all 24 verses. And we'll get over, we'll go into that and the Ethiopian eunuch next week. But let's study what we can do this morning for the remaining 15 minutes that we have. Let's pray. Dear Father, please, please. Open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, that we might behold the most glorious of treasures, and that is the wonders of your word. May we sense, Father, that you are speaking to our hearts, and may we sense that we are hearing from you. And, Father, that really cannot be done as much as people would like to think it can. It cannot be done apart from your word There's too many reminders in the Bible, Father, that you've given us that we must preach your word. We must study it. We must understand it. We must hear it. And so, Father, we've taken that call very seriously here at the Rock Community Church. We've come to a place that we want to understand and know you. This world is trying to change the things of you. We're trying to blend in. And, and people are using logic to say that we must become, you know, uh, all-encompassing to all people. And I believe that's true, Father. We must have compassion for all people. But, Father, if we don't know your word, oh, my, woe is us. And so, Lord, teach us. Move me aside, please. Um, let us really understand and hear from you best we can, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's see. Let's take a look at Simon. We read about him from verses 9 to 24. Let's see where he went wrong. Verse 21 is the biggest of all clues. Peter said to him, look, may your silver and gold perish with you. you. You need to get your heart right before God. Where's the problem? I'll show you where the problem is with Simon. The problem is that he had a really a terrible view of himself. Look at verse 9, where it all began. There was a certain man named Simon. He was formally practicing magic in the city. He was astonishing the people of Samaria. And look, he was claiming to be somebody great. Claiming to be somebody great. A faulty view of of a person, a person having a, a, a faulty view of themselves is is absolutely terrible because it can keep you or not you, but it can keep that person that thinks more highly of themselves than they ought to think away from their need of Jesus Christ and therefore out of His kingdom. 
to view yourself, to view anyone, anyone to view themselves as essentially good is as insidious as it is damning because it will lull a person into a false sense of security, causing the person to think that God is applauding their goodness. There are a number of people. I don't know if you share Christ a lot with people. I do. I, I have the privilege of trying to at least. The hardest person for me to reach is not a person who's down and out. Do you know who the hardest pe- person is to reach? That person who's a really good person. I mean, really does good things. Is a fine and upstanding person in the community. I've mentioned this before, and it's on tape, so I probably shouldn't too much, but my sister... Uh, she might not hear this, but my sister is a much nicer person than me. And so when I tried at first to share Christ with her, she would look down her nose up on me. Because she knew my feet smelled. She knew my pits, you know. She knew me. She knew that I was not all that nice. And that I had a lot, a lot, a lot of flaws. And so for her to think, well, I need Christ because you need Christ, I'm already better than you. She was, and she was right. She was in all, in that respect. You know, my sister and I go walking down the street. I've said this before, and we see a, a, a bunch of ants walking across the, the street. You know, she'd go like this, you know, ooh, that's not her, you know. I'd be walking right behind her and go, you know, but, you know, and, and then she'd look back at me and she'd go, oh, you know, and, and, but that's the difference, you know. She was a nice and is a nice person. And, and that's the hardest person to reach for the cause of Christ. In reality, the Bible says this about you and about me. In reality, the Bible views everything that you and I do apart from doing it for our Lord as a filthy rag of, nothing, of no value. It says in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. Um, you might want to turn there. You can if you want. Matthew 13, we were there already. Uh, I'm kind of jumping around because of the timing, so forgive me on this a little bit. But it says in, in Isaiah 64, 6, all of us, every single one of us, become like a person who is unclean. All, it says, every single one of us, of our righteous deeds, are like a filthy garment. There is of no value for what you and I do apart from Jesus Christ. So any view that anyone has thinking they're good enough or thinking that they're capable on their own to earn acceptance with God blinds their need for a Savior. Now this I do want you and me to look at. Hold your place here. Turn to the right to the book of Romans, the third chapter. Paul says it really beautifully. You see, Paul at one time thought he was righteous enough on his own, but what he saw was all of his righteousness was indeed like a filthy rag. He figured them all to be for naught. But he says this in Romans chapter 3. While you're turning there, let me just read to you a couple of verses that we'll look at or you can look at on your own. Proverbs 16:18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Proverbs 21.4 also says, A haughty eye and a proud heart is sin. James says in James 4.6, God is opposed to the proud, but he will give grace to the humble. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, it says this, Humble, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he 
might exalt you at the proper time. That's His time. His time. Humble is what we ought to be. And the reason we ought to be humble is because what Paul says of us in Romans chapter 3, look at verse 9. He says, what then? Are we better than they? No, he says, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jew and Greek are all under sin. He goes on to say, as it is written in verse 10, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together and have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And so he is saying in this place in Scripture, very clearly I might add, that Scripture itself teaches that you and I are not good enough on our own to come to Christ. We do not have the capabilities to earn acceptance with God. That is why it was imperative for Jesus Christ to come, to live, to die, to raise from the dead, to shed His blood so that you and I might have the forgiveness of our sin. So, Simon's first problem was, back to Acts chapter 8, he had a faulty view of himself. He thought he was someone great. Secondly, the problem with Simon was that he had an improper view of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to explain next week why the Holy Spirit came later. But, but sufficient today, Simon had an incorrect view of salvation and an incorrect view of the Holy Spirit. As you look at verses 12 and 13 about Simon, it says, When the people heard, they believed Philip's teaching. Verse 12. They believed his preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And they were all being baptized, men and women alike. And even Simon, now watch, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip and observed the signs and great miracles taking place. He was constantly amazed. Now, there's a problem here. If you read Scripture and don't study Scripture, you'll think Simon was truly someone who believed. Now, there are commentators that say he was not. I think that Peter gives a very strong description of that, saying, may your silver and gold perish with you. Uh, that doesn't sound like someone who has eternal life. But, but the point is that we see here that si uh, Simon believed and was baptized. What we learn first and foremost, and we, and we are going to have a baptism in a couple weeks, if you ever want to be baptized, and you cannot make it to our, our kind of group baptismal, just ask me. Ask me. I'll come to your home. I'll come to a hot tub. I'll come to the ocean. I'll come to wherever you have some water, and we will baptize you. But you need to know this. Baptism is purely an outward expression of what is taking place in your heart. And baptism has no power to save you. Baptism has no power in taking away your sins. Because we note in verse 13, even Simon was baptized... Even Simon believed. Let me tell you what true salvation is. True salvation does not manifest itself either in belief or in baptism. Now, because the Bible says in the book of James that even the demons believed and they shuddered. And so belief isn't the issue. It is what you believe in that is the issue. The issue of true salvation does not look at yourself thinking, wow, how... 
How glorious is this that God has me to use for His kingdom? Now, the, the, the true sense of salvation is that we see ourselves as a completely lost person who desperately needs a Savior, and we stop looking at ourselves, and we start looking at the One who has given us this salvation. You see, to truly believe in God is to truly see Him as a sovereign rule over our lives, over everyone who belongs to Him. And that rule comes for us only through His Son, Jesus Christ, and faith in Him alone. It's not the church you belong to. It's not how good you are. It is purely in faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that is what brings forth in your life and in my life true salvation. True salvation. And that faith will bring forth... Last verse I want us to look at and then we'll close. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we'll close. You don't even have to hold your place in Acts. Well, yeah, I do. I, I might come back and just kind of roam through it with you for the remaining two or three minutes. When you truly come to Christ, folks, there will be a change in your life. You will become what the Bible says is a new creature. That is God's business. He does that in and through your life. Now, you might not see it of yourselves. You know, have you ever seen maybe a nephew or someone in your family or a friend, and you haven't seen them for a year or two, and they have a young child? And, and, and when they come back and you see them again, you say, oh my gosh, how that kid has grown. And they wouldn't notice it because they're there with them every day. But you, after a period of time, see there's growth in that person's life. Same thing with you as a believer. You might not see the growth, but there should be growth in your life. And that is why we need one another in small groups. That's why we need each other through the church so that we encourage one another to grow, and we can say, you know, I see a growth in your life. I see it. Dave, I see it in your life. I see it in the lives of the people here in this church. I see growth in your lives. And I can give testimony that I see that you are growing in the Lord. You might not see it yourselves, but we can see it in one another. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, that person becomes a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Let me just share with you, that's the very essence of what the Bible teaches for you and me. That we become new creatures in Christ. That we become people who are changed by the very grace of God. That will not happen as it ought to happen in your life or my life until our hearts are pliable. Until we have good soil within our hearts so that when the Word of God comes into our hearts, it takes seed within this good soil and it kind of grows within us and it becomes what it ought to become in and through our lives. And that is why you and I must study the Word of God. The Word of God is what is going to make your heart and your life pliable. It will make it so that it will change you into that new creature that God has created you to be. Here's the problem with Simon. Simon had an incorrect view of salvation. He thought he could buy his way in. That's what he tried to do. He saw the apostles laying on hands. He wanted another magic trick. He wanted another way of making him popular in the community. Some people, you might not believe this, some people will go to church just to find connections for their business. 
you know, let God find new connections for your business. Come to church for the proper reason, so that your heart will be right, so that you will learn about the things of God, so that you'll become the person of God that God wants you to be. Simon thought he could buy his way in. Peter looked him in the eyes, and some people would have not liked Peter as their pastor because Peter never minced any words. He said, Simon, may your silver and gold perish with you. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, thanks, Pastor. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, but Peter didn't mince any words because he loved Simon. He loved Simon. He needed Simon to hear the truth, and he told him the hard truth. And here's the problem with Simon, and it's right in near the end of, of the of the verses we read. I think verses 22, 3, or 4. When when Peter said to him, Simon, may your silver and gold perish with you. You've got to get your heart right. Your heart's not right. Then he said to him, you must... And Peter told him the same thing that he told everybody, from the religious leaders, from the great, what the world would call great, to the small, what the world might call small. He told them all the same message, repent. In other words, change your ways, Simon. That's what repent means. When you're going this way, if God's back here and you're walking this way in your life, repent means to stop, to turn, and to go towards God. Repent, Peter. I mean, Simon, repent. And Simon said, you, you pray to God for me so these things might not happen to me. Folks, let me tell you what true salvation is. True salvation is personal. It is yours. It's, it's My salvation is mine, and I cannot give you salvation. I can't give you my salvation. Nobody can give the other person their salvation. Your salvation must be personal with you. And so there was no one greater in that place that could have prayed for his sins than Simon himself. Even the apostles couldn't have reached God for Simon. Simon had to reach God for himself. And the sooner that you and I understand that, the sooner that we realize that we are the wonderful and the greatest link to God. We are the ones that touch God the closest because we have that personal relationship with Him. We don't need a pope. We don't need a priest. We don't need some great guru to pray to God for us. We have that privilege. And Simon refused the counsel that the apostles gave him. He has said, instead said, you pray for me. And you'll note, nothing was said after that. He was told to repent. You, 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 me. Let's become our own person of God. Let us grow, make our hearts right before God so that then we can become a unity, a church that is really together. When our hearts are right before God, there's no telling what God will do through us. I know you'd agree with that, Harold. I knew it. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Father. Thank you for these people. And uh, Lord, thank you that you've placed in my heart a love for them that I never would have guessed. Um, I would hope to pour it, but I would have never guessed that it would be this deep. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being a part of this body of believers. Thank you for the privilege of being able to teach your word and, 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 and having a group of people that say, yes, yes, we want to hear the word of God taught. And so, Father, I am honored that you've allowed us to be a part of this movement, of this church. And may you, Father, do with us as you see fit. Father, if it's a hundredfold, if it's sixtyfold, if it's thirtyfold, that's not our job. That's yours, Father. We just give what we do to you. 
And we ask that you will bless it. More importantly, dear Father, I guess, I pray that we would be a blessing for you, that we would be able to be servants of yours, stewards of your most amazing grace. And so, Father, let us be a church that hears your word. Let us be a church that understands your word. And then let us be individuals, each of us, our own, um, uh, I guess I, I would say just ministers of our own, going out into this world, into our families, this there's places which we live and just serving you, Father. Now, thank you for this day, this wonderful, glorious day. Thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all so much. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks. Thanks for being here. God bless you all.